0: This is a podcast from Bodies of Data, Intersecting Medical and Digital Humanities. This Irish Humanities Alliance Conference, a collaboration with University College Dublin and Dublin Institute of Technology, took place in the Royal Irish Academy and in the UCD Humanities Institute on the 22nd and 23rd of November, 2018. The conference addressed the emerging discipline of the medical humanities at the intersection between arts and humanities and the biomedicine which explores the social, historical and cultural dimensions to medicine. Podcasting of the conference was by RealSmart Media. In this podcast, narratives of health and illness, arts-based research capturing the lived experience of dementia, a paper by Dr. Hilary Moss from University of Limerick.
1: I'm actually going to go to the other end of the lifespan. I'm going to be talking about people with dementia in older age. And my work... uh, really intersects between medicine and the, and the humanities. So as Neve said, I worked in Tala Hospital uh, in the National Centre for Arts and Health, programming a range of arts interventions, some of the examples of which are there, the different ways that arts can be used in hospital experience. But this paper particularly is looking at how the humanities il- illuminate the experience of illness and cast a, a new lens on the ways that med- medical conditions are viewed Within healthcare normally. And yesterday we had a great panel with the three doctors in the evening, um, and they mentioned how the humanities have one of two functions, usually, either to be instrumental or ornamental. So, in instrumental terms, you know, my own work as a music therapist, it's about clinical goals, it's about reducing pain medication. That's often how the humanities are viewed within a, a clinical medical sphere. The other then is ornamental, so it's seen as recreation and the sort of icing on the cake that isn't really very important. And my own work would contend that that aesthetics are deprived, are neglected in healthcare spaces generally, at best. And at worst, people are actually deprived of their aesthetic interests when they're in receiving healthcare. So I'm going to talk about a couple of projects today that are arts-based research. and we, I worked with Professor Des O'Neill in Tala Hospital and we had four artists resident in an older age unit of an acute hospital. So we had a, create, a writer, a visual artist, a composer and a dancer over a period of about three years when we worked together on this. The aims of those residencies was the creation of new work of high artistic quality that would reflect the lived experience of dementia and also contribute to greater understanding of dementia, both in society but also with healthcare professionals. It was a clinical team effort, and my work is always interdisciplinary, so I've always worked with clinicians um, and artists, and I suppose the, the Centre for Arts and Health and my role was being a broker, really, between those two worlds. They have completely different languages, completely different ways of talking about the same kind of subject, um, and it's it's really about brokering and building those links, of which there are many. So. Um, I suppose the project set out to be about the narratives of health and illness and particularly service user experiences. So on the right here, we have, I suppose, the overriding values that I would adhere to in my work and certainly with the team I worked with. The artistic quality matters. Um, and there's too much in medical and clinical context. There's too much of the do-goodery. Oh, it'd be nice if someone comes and plays the piano. The old lady Mary from down the road who was a retired piano teacher could come and play some tunes. Wouldn't that be lovely? It, sometimes it's really actually uh, a noise pollution. And, and a negative aesthetic experience. Um, I think we called it aesthetic injury when we were working. <laughs> um, not That's not to, to knock Mary, who can sometimes be lovely on the piano, by the way, and, it's, and volunteers are really valuable. But um, the service user consultation and collaboration, we insisted on this with our artists, and I. I, I humanities scholars who came into the building, that they had to talk to people with the illness. They had to interact with people. So that actually does mean there's a selection process because some, for the best people in the world, some artists aren't great with people. You know, some, many of us are quite nerdy about our topic and we like to sit in a room out by ourselves researching. So you need somebody who is going to actually be able to throw out a lot of their ideas and bring in new ones to work in this setting with people. Um, and that was challenging for some of the artists we work with. Um, and hearing the person's narrative through the art form is the focus of this particular piece of work. So each of these artists had probably unparalleled uh, access to the clinical team and the people with dementia and their families. So, for example, the composer-in-residence I'm going to talk about went to a person's home with dementia and met their family and saw how they were at home as well as meeting them in the clinic. They went on ward rounds. They were introduced by the doctors to, you know, listening for heart, for pulse... They went to the to the waiting rooms, they went to the outpatient clinics. I wanted to mention digital humanities. It's not my area of expertise, I'll be frank, but there are some interesting things about working in, in medical humanities which I wanted to sort of mention. So I suppose there are two kind of areas of thought that I wanted to just throw out. So first of all, I think there's huge potential for, for digital. Uh, for the digital within healthcare to bring the humanities and to bring aesthetic experiences to people who are isolated, who can't access traditional venues. Um, The geographical equality of access piece, so I'm working as a music therapist on a project looking at whether we can provide music therapy by telemedicine, by Skype. Um, And there's a fabulous project in Florida where a dance therapist worked with war veterans all around this enormous state through telemedicine very effectively. So that's one. I suppose the plus side is reducing that isolation. The other side, you may be very familiar with this this man Henry from the Music Alive videos. If you're not, it's quite interesting. It's an example of somebody with dementia responding dramatically to listening to music on their headphones. There's a big critique of that in 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 my field. Um, While there's been a huge growth in the idea of playlists for people with dementia, personalized playlists, which are really useful, really lovely thing for a family member to do for somebody with dementia. I have a fear of people with dementia being put in rows with headphones on in the future in a nursing home and left to listen to their music. What actually is very important when you analyse the, the, the Music Alive video is it's the, it's the people that interact with the man while he's listening to the music that actually make that interaction meaningful. Um, and so I think we have to be wary as well. So back to the project. Um, I've told you about the artist being commissioned. So the results were artworks which were exhibited. Um, were published. Um, There were public seminars to go along with each residency kind of coming to completion. And the artworks are used now as an ongoing tool for learning about dementia with young doctors. So I'm just going to focus on two of the projects and feature them. So the first one is Ian Wilson, an Irish composer who was in residence with us for a couple of years overall and did a triptych of works based on the three illnesses of older age, Parkinson's disease, dementia, and stroke. So this is, these are members of the Irish Chamber Orchestra rehearsing in one of the very messy, I must say, one of the messy clinical rooms in the hospital, one of the main meeting rooms. Um, so they, they came in and they worked. They were also in residence. I think we were the first hospital in Ireland to have an orchestra in residence, which was quite exciting. Um, so this is a six-movement piece. I'm going to play you a clip from the first movement, which is called The Appointment. So this is another example of uh, the musicians performing to people in the day hospital in the Old age unit. We insisted that there was that interaction. So in this project, uh, there were open rehearsals held each week in the unit. And it was very challenging, actually, for the composer, because he said, I don't write necessarily for this particular audience. And these people were not necessarily in any way o- familiar with modern classical music. So there was a kind of a grating at the start when they heard this kind of music and said, what the hell is this? You know, <laughs> I didn't want to hear this kind of music. Um, and then, but then it transformed itself into a piece of work that was really meaningful. So in this little clip, you're going to hear it's written for viola, violin, double bass and saxophone. Um, and it's called The Appointment. It's the first movement. And it's focused on... Ian's experience of the busyness of the outpatient appointment. So if any of you have cared for somebody older in your family, you'd be familiar with going to the outpatient department with this person. And there are lots of voices at this kind of consultation. And you'll hear this in the music, the busyness, the many different voices speaking. One of the big issues in dementia that came through in this project is the family carers and their role. So you have adult, adult children who often accompany the person, and their voice is, can be very dominant, Um, The doctor has to... There are real ethical learning issues that came up from this movement, this piece of music, in terms of listening to the family member but actually hearing the person with dementia. And that is actually your patient. So ethically, you are obliged to work with that person. But what if they're saying one thing and the family member saying another thing about them coping at home? You know, how do you navigate that? So I'm going to... The saxophone kind of represents the... um, the person with dementia in this little clip and I'll just try and play it. I'll just play a minute or two of it, it's available online. Some interesting discussions coming out of that piece, um, in terms of uh, that whole experience of being in a busy waiting room and, and that perception that the composer brought to that experience. The other example I want to mention is Ailish Claffey, who's still dancer in residence at Talla Hospital. She's working there still; she's been there for the last couple of years, and uh, she focused her work on working at the bedside with people with restricted mobility and movement. So I did my own PhD while I was at Talla, and one of the findings was that. Older people coming into hospital, when they were asked which art forms they'd engaged with prior to hospital, many mentioned dance. You know, especially when they were younger, dance dance halls, going out dancing on a Friday night were a big part of their lives. And we didn't have a dancer in the hospital, so we introduced it. There was a lot of scepticism. How on earth could somebody who's in bed, who's 80, who's frail dance? You know, it's... A, couldn't imagine this, but of course you can dance with your upper body, you can dance with your arms, there's many creative ways that you can dance, sitting down or lying down. Um, so Eilish worked with people in the unit, and she created a, a clip which I won't play, but it's online, called, a piece of work, sorry, a new work, called Between Spirit and Skin, which is a 15-minute dance arising from her residency, and what she focused on was touch, and she said she noticed when she started working there the different ways that people use touch. And don't use touch. So in healthcare, we often don't touch people, um, but in a person with dementia who might have forgotten you, she found herself often just touching their hand to get their attention. And often, you know, a nurse would touch somebody elderly who maybe doesn't hear very well, just to, to draw them back to the present and to realise that there's somebody there trying to to talk to them. So she did a whole piece of work on using hands and movement and touch. So I suppose that prism again of her view of of something that I think we probably overlook a lot within medical settings. And again, the ethical issues around that and the discussion that then can lead to with doctors, young doctors, about what is appropriate touch, what isn't. I do classes on that with my own music therapy students. When do you touch someone, when do you don't, when is it appropriate or inappropriate? What if somebody touches you and you don't want them to, a a, a patient? So there's a whole ethical world around that. But the, the clip I'm going to show you is called The Dance Back Home. And this was a documentary that was created by Ailish and Deirdre Glenfield, another artist in the hospital, to document the work. So what you'll see in the next clip is uh, some examples of her work with clients and some of the staff they're talking. So the first voice you'll hear, and you won't see her, is a physiotherapist describing some work. And then you'll see a group of the clinicians and the, a patient dancing together. And the,
0: I remember the first one we did was the tango, and he just moved in a way that he had never moved before uh, he was very resistant to moving forwards and, and taking his weight over onto his left side and with the tango Eilish built a little story around it and he got so into it that he, he, he really brought his weight onto his left side in a way that I had been working on with him for weeks and he hadn't done and that's when I kind of thought that was something worth exploring a little bit And I think that your dance and health probably gave us another medium by which patients can express what they're going through. Dancing and health and arts and health doesn't seek out to be curative, and it doesn't. But in some respects, it can begin the process because it is giving people that period to kind of understand and adjust what's happened to them. Maybe to be in the doctor, I'm also just another human being like them. And, and there was that kind of maybe deeper level of understanding amongst us so all. I think we all learned maybe to drop our little roles and ambitions for a moment to connect with one another you know, on a more really basic human level.
1: So our hope, I suppose, just to wrap up, is that, um, that the end point of this process will be greater understanding of dementia drawing public attention to the advances in the sciences of Alzheimer's disease, but also establishing a platform to which to communicate the current experience of dementia to the wider public, as well as creating high-quality artistic outcomes in their own right, and a debate which brings together scientists and artists together with people with dementia. So it's one approach in a wide range of arts and health approaches, projects, interventions, um, and it was an arts-based research project. Um, I have a few acknowledgements there and uh, thank you all for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Bodies of Data, Intersecting Medical and Digital Humanities. This Irish Humanities Alliance conference, a collaboration with University College Dublin and Dublin Institute of Technology, took place in the Royal Irish Academy and in University College Dublin Humanities Institute on the 22nd and 23rd of November. 2018. For more information on the Irish Humanities Alliance, go to irishhumanities.com.